by the power of Castle Hate Skull. I am Hello Mark Harley, and you know, I was just checking on my phone to see if the Oak and Stone clothing sale is still going on. It's a Black Friday sale with 40% off everything. I'm doing this up front just so you don't miss it, just so it's in your brain. And it actually really is pretty cool because look, they're high quality clothes. They're not the cheapest clothes of all time, but if that's been an issue for you before a deterrent in checking out some of their stuff and, and buying an item, uh, now's a great time because you get the 40% off. You also get the 10% off. Check it out at least, see if there's anything uh, you like. And you know, one of the better deals around, I'd say, as far as Black Friday sales go. Um, and I'm just hoping it'll still be going on. I believe it's going to be going on. You know, I know it's when I'm filming this, it's going on for sure. And you know what? If it isn't and you want to buy something, hit me up and I'll tell the owner, yo, yo, extend this for this mother effer right here. And I'm actually sure he'll give you an exception uh, to that because he's a good dude. And having a small business allows you to be flexible like that, right? I... And potentially, I think I, I will make it happen, though. I've been thinking about going to the Olympia this year. Just, I've been into bodybuilding, I guess. Like, I never thought about it as something that I was a fan of. But, you know, since the 90s, um, when I started lifting weights and the guys you look up to on the fitness magazines, thinking that they're all natty and if I just take Celtech, that I'm going to end up like all of them, you know. If only I take the right creatine brand, I'm going to look like Nasser El Sombeti. Deep cut there. If you know, you know, Egyptian bodybuilder, dude was a giant. And also, one of these guys who's really smart, um, I believe he had a science background. I'm going to have to look that up. Nasser El Son Beatty, PhD. Am I giving him too much credit? Um, so he's Egyptian background, born in Germany. Yes, in multiple Germanys. <laughs> um, let's see. Wish I could find this. He was really smart, I know. But I guess I'm not finding on his Wikipedia page, at least, um, what his academic credentials were. He just comes to mind as somebody who, oh yeah, uh, degree in history, political science, and sociology. Boy, was I ever off. Um, he did go to college at least, but I guess he was known for kind of having like, he was one of the guys who was into the science aspect of um, using anabolics and stuff like that, you know, because that's not going to be everybody, but a curious and intelligent person. Nonetheless, yes, we're doing a deep cut on Astro also, baby. Um, is that how you pronounce his name? I have no clue. Somebody can help me out if you're of Egyptian heritage. What I was going to say is, it never occurred to me to go to any bodybuilding shows, right? I'm not sitting there going like, this is so awesome. I need to go see that live. Like, the pictures were cool enough, but it never even just occurred to me. Um, and more recently, now that I'm like in one toe in the fitness world, I thought, yeah, I should start going to some of these events just for the sake of networking, just for the sake of being around your tribe, in a sense, because I do feel like even though that's not my entire life when you when you're around people who are into fitness and bodybuilding first of all I tend to enjoy those interactions and at least you have uh, you know a, a common language that you can share and interact with but then secondly when someone looks at you and you have muscles, or this could be anything, so I'll make it general. Like if somebody looks at you and, and there's something about you that makes them assume something that you think is incorrect, and in this case it would be any of the negative assumptions that people can make towards somebody who spends time lifting weights, who uses anabolics, who, uh, you know, posts, shirtless pictures of themselves on the internet and people take that various ways and uh, assume things about a need for attention or what they think about what I think about myself when I'm doing that or the reasons for doing it in general. So when I encounter stuff online, like where people come to my page or I see it pop up randomly, it's like, oh, like you, you don't even, you can't fathom this pursuit. And so you're giving me the least charitable interpretation 
of my reasons for pursuing fitness, bodybuilding, building muscle, uh, you know, using my body on social media, whatever it is. I try to not take it personally, even though there, you know, there can be obviously highly personal insults directed at me. But when you're around other people who get that, it's not an issue, right? There's zero chance of people projecting that onto you. Um, now, it may turn out that you're a complete asshole or a narcissist, you know, uh, and also a bodybuilder. But, um, of course, that's the case with most scenarios, right? Uh, but it's not going to be something where you're misunderstood. And I've realized how important that is to me with regards to friendships, intimate relationships, and what I feel like I strive for or that I feel like is missing or they can disappoint me, right? Nobody can really, it's hard to hurt my feelings by insulting me as a stranger. But the easiest way to hurt or disappoint or give me sadness as an other individual might be to demonstrate that you're misunderstanding me on a basic level, right? I've realized that if I'm to look at back at things in my life where I feel like, oh, that hurts me because I assumed I had a greater understanding. I took that for granted. And then either in that moment or you realize the whole time I've been misunderstood, that hurts. And so I'm finally going to the Mr. Olympia to be accepted. No, and I, I also just want to meet people. Like I think it's going to be an interesting spectacle because it's not just about the show. It's about the weekend and everything around there. And so I'd be going, uh, Brendan has to reschedule the shows in DC and he'd be going, you know, to do rain stuff. Um, and that's also cool to like the people that they bring out. Every time I've come with him for the Tough Mudder or whatever, like the team that they bring out is really cool. And I always have fun collaborating with them. So who knows, maybe, you know, there's, there's some rumblings of uh, haters will say blog from the Mr. Olympia. I don't know. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if we can do it. Um, Casey's like, please take me, dude. I'll fucking film the whole thing. Bro, this is my fucking dream, dude. Like, just give me a shot, dude. I've always wanted to make blogs in Vegas, dude. Like, I grew up just, I mean, like, I, like, it's just great. Like, it's, it's just like the way things, it's like, that's God right there, dude. That's God right there, dude. Like, the fact that, like, you're going to the Olympia and, like, I have a camera and this burning desire to film and edit vlogs for you. <laughs> I actually assume you'd be really good at that because of all your, um, the skate stuff you did, like, because you filmed that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And edited it yourself. So mm -hmm. like, that would be, that'd be easy work. So yeah. next step is, it's not even a job. It's just having fun. So come with me. Yeah. So just Casey, just do it, dude. That was also a uh, part of my role uh, when I worked on the Dan Patrick show. Anytime we would oh, go yeah? on the road, I would, yeah shoot, yeah. shoot and edit on the road stuff. Yeah. So I should at least talk to you about it. I asked Chin the other day, I was like, do you have any tips for vlogging? He's like, <laughs> like he like laughed out like that was the stupidest question. I'm like, it may seem obvious to you like that you'd shoot and then edit the best parts, but I'm like, what are some insights into that, right? Because I don't ever assume that like it says something is as easy as it seems. Um, but yeah, my honest assumption is that Casey has no desire whatsoever to be in Vegas other than to party. And is that correct or not? Would you ever go to a bodybuilding show? Yeah, I've yeah. been to, when I also worked for CrossFit, I would go to the, uh, I don't think it was the, was it the Mr. Olympia? What's another thing? Oh, There's, the Arnold Classic. Yeah, yeah I went to the yeah. Arnold Classic a couple of times. That's yeah, essentially just cool. as big almost, because it's yeah. like this whole like event weekend and people, it's a really prestigious show in general. You I've know? been to Vegas maybe five times and have never partied. It was always for work mm. and I would go there like end up shooting all day and then like get back to the hotel, like organize footage. I literally would only see like the venue I was working at and yeah. my hotel room. So I've never, like, although yeah. I've been to Vegas a bunch of times, I've never been like to the strip, never to a casino, never to yeah. anything. Yeah. I don't think I've had a good experience in Vegas. I'm like, doing <laughs> really? that. Like I've had many times where it's like, oh, we're going to go do this. But then you kind of realize like, oh, that's my friend with a bunch of money who's like, buying tables and drinking but it's like that's eh, not you know you can be with that person but it's not you per se so it's just like you know if you have money and can make that obvious to people or have enough money to buy hookers <laughs> they have hookers in vegas <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm in uh, let's go we're going to vegas oh my goodness no come on i remember actually last time i went to like do that part i'm gonna talk about this guy in a bit too but um he ends like 
ends up banging this hooker and she was like that was so good like i don't even according to him it was like i don't even want you to pay me and like turns into like her wanting to like date him and he was like super into her the first night and then he was just like oh i gotta get rid of this bitch you know um i'm doing an accent that will reveal who this person is if you know me but i try i caught myself and toned it down i'm like oh, i can't do an australian accent for this for this guy um but you know yeah if you got money like that to throw around you know i'm sure it's a lot of fun but just like this is gonna be fun inherently like flashing lights loud music everything's expensive i don't know but you can make it work you know what i saw blue man group there once and that was fucking awesome i have to say because it sounds so cheesy but it's like actually there's a reason that these shows go on forever and you know make millions and millions of dollars it's because they're fucking good all right let's do uh, let's click on this hell a second though this is the this is the funny little clip but i love seeing stuff like this like because really what it represents to me is it's Mike Tyson of the game tripping on shrooms on the Hot Boxing Podcast. That title's a little bit of a misnomer because he bites into the shrooms in the clip and they kind of just talk about it for a second. And my assumption is that Mike Tyson's always on mushrooms. But what I like about this is this is a hardcore gangster rapper, you know, gang-affiliated, whatever, South Central LA guy who's talking about doing mushrooms. And that's one small aspect of the normalization of psychedelics that I like being a part of. I like, you know, talking to whoever will listen about my experiences and why, not that I need to push it on anybody, but like, if you haven't tried it before because you have misinformation-based fears, then I like to correct it. So let's check out what, uh, what the I game. Yeah, I took it on myself. When I tell you the water follow me all the way to the truck from yeah, the beach. Yeah, so stupid, man. Yeah, water follow me all the way to the truck from the beach. So they eat a little shroom chocolate here. Peer pressure by Mike Tyson. <laughs> here we are. Grilling and everything. That's funny. Mm. Don't be afraid now. I ain't afraid, Mike. Don't, don't, hey, Mike. <laughs> don't watch my peace, all right? A few moments later. Ah. <laughs> Speak English, mother sucker. <laughs> I'm that emoji and I got the blue shirt on. Oh, I'm high as fucking giraffe pussy. <laughs> <laughs> so that just looks like they're having fun. I don't know if that's a direct result of the mushrooms or not, but like, I don't know. It's just a cool thing. Because also, like, you see that. And if you are somebody who's never taken it before, you're like, see, they're just having fun. It's all lighthearted. It's not like dark or stressful unless you wanted to be that then i can make that happen for you um i can come to your house and bully you while you're taking psychedelics for a hundred dollars <laughs> i will give you acid and then cause you stress for the ultimate bad trip experience <laughs> it's like the g you remember girlfriend experience like that term that's like in you know um, you know when you're like ordering a hooker and <laughs> like, no, it is it refers to that where it's like I assume it means like spending the night and like kissing you, like giving you something extra to like act like your girlfriend rather than just to hold, put your penis in. Um, it's called the girlfriend experience. So I'm gonna start marketing myself as, you know, you want the bad trip experience? <laughs> I could sell you psychedelics, but if you want that bad trip experience, it's gonna be a little extra. Um, so here's something I thought was interesting. Because I'm, as you probably know, well, you know, okay, I'll preface it with this. I don't, I don't mean to act holier than that, but when I'm on the road, I drink more. When I'm on the road with Brendan, like everybody's drinking. It's not that I feel peer pressure, but it's just kind of a when in Rome type of thing. And you know, I think many instances of I don't drink alone. I don't like come home and go like I, you know, I really need a drink right now for the feeling of it. It's kind of like other people doing it reminds you of it. It's almost like you know eating food that's out or whatever but my desire like with all things is to be more mindful in the future and yes that represents a procrastination in all things but um i think it's good to remind yourself of the specifics i remember getting into an argument with somebody who was like they're talking about the benefits of alcohol and this is actually a guy who was like trying out for the olympic team uh, for for wrestling. He was a talented collegiate wrestler that I happened to be friends with. And he made some reference about like, beer does this and that and it's positive. And, blah, blah, blah. and it's on Facebook and I put some quip back like, 
you're talking about poison, right? You know, and we got in this kind of heated back and forth. We're kind of talking past. It wasn't too heated, but it was like at the end of the day, I think it's always useful to remind yourself that this is a toxin that you're ingesting. And I think people will rationalize their alcohol use, uh, even just like, not, you know, not like rationalizing alcoholism is a different thing. Rationalizing like I have two glasses of wine every night because it's healthy is a different rationalization, right? That's sort of more of this like white collar rationalization, this like intellectual rationalization, um, you know, let's be honest, the Democrat rationalization. Um, <laughs> so I was, I'm in the midst of listening to this podcast by Andrew Huberman. Now it's two hours long. I haven't finished all of it. And in fact, some of these things you listen to, you almost have to turn off. You're like, I can't, I can't listen to that right now. <laughs> I can't be told that I've been destroying my brain with casual alcohol consumption my entire life. Um, like when I had this, I listened to this, you know, podcast on sleep from this guy on JRE. And it's like everything he's like, you know, all nighters are terrible for you. Like everything you're like, oh my God, like, you know, I'm going to get dementia next year. It, it sometimes you have to take it in small doses, but essentially a couple of talking points here would be that 12 to 24 drinks a week, which is pretty obvious binge drinking, frequent binge drinking, that damages the neurocortex, the outer layer of your brain, things like associative memories, planning, um, podcasting, time management. No, <laughs> all the things that I'm bad. I'm like, wait a second, am I secretly an alcoholic? Um, be a great excuse, but I'm not. So obviously, I think that's pretty accepted that that's bad for you. But like hearing some of the specifics that they get into, um, as far as what elements of cognitive function, you know, probably creativity too, creativity, future planning, all these different things that you kind of associate with like that layer of our brain that makes humans human, right? Um, impulse control, right? Because without the neurocortex, uh, we're not too much different than animals and not to separate it too much. Obviously, dolphins are freaking geniuses, but Dolphins you know, do drink a lot, though. <laughs> dolphins like to get fucked up. Oh, they like to do the total lush, dude. <laughs> they're fun. Yeah, but and and when they puke, it's just like in the ocean, so it just like goes everywhere. Not, it's not <laughs> it's cool. like, yeah. <laughs> you ever seen a dolphin puke? I wonder if they animals do. They must, right? They're a mammal. Cats puke. Dogs puke. Cats puke. Dog. Do dolphins puke? Right? Should we look Haters it up? will say dolphins don't puke. That's the episode title right now. Um, yes, I do want to look it up, actually. Do dolphins puke? Question mark. Sometimes an animal vomits to remove toxic bacteria. Ah, vomiting uh, clears the digestive healthy stuff. What is it? This trait is also seen in whales, yep, dolphins, yep, yep, and yep. porpoises. So I guess here's my takeaway from that. Like, cats don't vomit most of the time because they overeat they can obviously do that but like you know they're doing the thing where they eat the grass and it gets out their digestive system or whatever it's some it's some other purpose so you know it's funny to think about the dolphin like binging oh on fish God. and getting intoxicated and then throwing up look at this what in fact when it comes to sperm whale whale vomit is a precious material and has been Dude. used to make several top-end <laughs> perfumes cologne and cosmetics for many that's years. hilarious because i remember he, that's one of those things you hear about um and you're like, that can't possibly be true. Like somebody tried to tell me recently that calamari was made from pig anus. It was actually Jay Shop, who's passing it on from somebody else. And I was <laughs> like, there's zero chance that's true without even looking it up. Like you can't just serve pig asshole to people and tell them it's calamari. You know, that's not how America works, at least. And we would be able to, you know, easily look up multiple instances of that happening. There's somewhere on the menu, you know, if you have a imitation crab meat, it says imitation crab meat. It isn't like, no, this is real crab meat. Like, and that's something that's supposed to taste, you know, exactly like a seafood. And it comes from the, you can't just be like, oh, you wanted squid? How about pig asshole? Doesn't work like that. But in the same vein, I thought that stuff like this, this is like one of those, I always heard this growing up, the whale vomit and perfumes. I was like, yeah, you're full of shit. Um, turns out, I was full of shit. Whalefacts.org. I don't Whale know how credible. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but when I see that .org at the end of the address, I just believe it. You yeah. know, you buy in. Yeah. Um, 
That is fucking hilarious. But anyway, so <laughs> what the hell are we talking about? Oh drinking. my god, yeah, we were talking about I, the you know, podcast. I love thinking drinking. about dolphins and like, do you do you know they do get fucked up, right? No, they don't. Yeah, they do. Look On what? Fucking ah! plankton? So what they do is they'll take toxic um, fish, like a puffer fish. I'm using that as an example, but it's it's. I'm not sure what the exact thing is. They'll but like, snort a puffer fish. They use the toxins from other sea creatures to get high, essentially. What? Yeah, and it makes sense because like yeah, like monkeys dolphins it's like they have the self-awareness of like oh that felt good and like it gives me this psychoactive experience um and i assume many animals are capable of that like even watching a cat you know go nuts on some catnip it's like doing something to them i always they thought want more of it why does it why doesn't that trippy frog just lick itself man oh you know what i mean <laughs> um that's a great question dolphins Toxic fish. Hi. Puffer fishes. Yes. Puffer fishes are known to contain tetrodotoxin in, in small, which in small amounts can kill a human within minutes. However, for the dolphins, this toxin, according to experts, is known to create a narcotic effect when consumed in smaller amounts. So I guess it's possible that dolphins could OD, right? Yeah. A little too much puffer fish, or they get some fentanyl. Mixed in the puffer fish. Like it looked like a puffer fish, but it's really just a fentanyl pressed puffer fish. Uh, well, I'm glad that this podcast, if nothing else, is raising awareness about the toxic fish epidemic. <laughs> Dolphins are washing up to shore on the coast of San Diego, and critics. <laughs> Scientists are wondering why. Local My golf. investigative journalism team. Um, no, it's crazy. So, yeah, I guess and, uh, the effect, I guess, is, you know, like. I'm assuming they're they're meaning narcotic in the sense that I'm thinking like an opiate, right? Local dolphin asking if it can bum a smoke. <laughs> local dolphin. <laughs> it all started when a local <laughs> dolphin took a puffer fish. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, uh, he's just uh, <laughs> he's a good guy. He's a good dolphin. Um, your dolphin neighbors like after you OD. <laughs> Or it turns out you're a dolphin serial killer. Kept to himself a lot, you know. I'd see him uh, get get a puffer fish every now and then, but nothing too crazy. Okay, so the second part of this, <laughs> but you know what? Dolphins do have, you know, they have well developed brains. They have they have more social capacity. I can't. I'm gonna go on a whole dolphin tangent. Have you seen what they can do? Like, with, I guess it's from echolocation, but you can put stuff inside boxes and they can tell what it is. What? Like, you can show them a shape. Like, here's a, you know, look, get the star and then show them a bunch of, like, closed boxes and they'll be able to, like, that's the stars in there. Oh, right? What? So they can do stuff that we definitely can't. Damn, um, dolphins are super chill. And at least killer whales have more highly developed, uh, like, social regions of their brain. You know, like, they, they're, they're more primed to have, like, complex you know, social structures, ostensibly. Ostensibly. Even 7 to 14 drinks a week shows evidence of <laughs> neurocortex degradation. So that was the part that I was like, oh, damn. Like, you know, I probably had seven drinks, you know, over the course of two days in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, because what, what else are you going to fucking do in Milwaukee? Uh, drink Wisconsinably is the state motto. Not making that up. And that sweatshirt was $80 at the airport. Too much. Remember, you're still Wisconsin. Nobody's going to buy that. Um, but that kind of casual drinking, I think most people assume like, oh, I'm just having like a beer or two a night, a glass of wine or two a night. That can't possibly have any effect on me because I've read all these things about how my cardiovascular health is improved by drinking a glass of wine every night. And that may be true or maybe it's correlated to something. I'd love to look into that because I always, I hear stuff like that and I'm like, that can't be the whole case, right? And perhaps it's just from the blood thinning effect alone, like taking a fucking aspirin every day could, you know, relieve blood pressure symptoms and have a cascade of positive effects in the long term, but that doesn't mean it's not doing damage to the other parts of your body. Alcohol ultimately damages the cells in your body. And it's something I have to remind myself of because like, I don't give a fuck about drinking. It doesn't even feel that good. I would honestly rather microdose on psychedelics if I'm looking for an effect, right? I'm looking for a feeling. And ironically, as Huberman points out, 
we drink mostly for a feeling, right? For a mood. Paradoxically, it leaves us less happy, less motivated, less able to uh, uh, plan after the effects wear off, right? So you're doing it for the mood, but it's always short term. And I just don't think compared to something like exercise, that's always the answer, right? If you're looking for a mood enhancer and you're not exercising, then take LSD, but also exercise and take LSD at the same time. Have I run six miles high on acid? Yes, I have. Did the person I did it with also run six miles, but that was the first time they've ever run six miles and they almost died? Yes. Was it a great memory? Absolutely. You know, a lot of people have been asking me, Mark, what are you going to take to help you focus on avoiding political conversations during the Thanksgiving holiday? Well, it's funny you should ask. Happy Hippo Kratom is what I'm going to use. You can get that at happyhippo.com and use code THICKBOY with three C's for 20% off. And it's going to help keep you on your toes while everybody else is drinking. And we've discovered how bad that is from Andrew Huberman. You can take this stuff. I'm not going to degrade your neuro, your neural cortex. God damn it. Quick, drink it. <laughs> now say neurocortex. Neurocortex. See? Hard evidence that Kratom from happyhippo.com works. <laughs> Whoop. Dude, we've been waiting to talk about this. Artem Lobov sues Conor McGregor. Yeah. This, I was this, reading this this morning. Yes, you saw this separately, right? Yeah. My beef with Artem is this. Yeah. Right, because you're, you're a Conor McGregor fan. Uh, and so am I. Die hard. You're, you're diehard, right? Yeah. Um, so it says in here that uh, Conor offered Artem a million dollars. Oh, it did? Yeah. And Artem... What, oh, like now? No, no, no. Then, at the then. beginning. Okay. And Artem uh, turned it down. He was like, yeah. Conor also would offer me money to get him ready in training camps and he would turn that down just because they're, yeah. they're bros you know so if you turn down that uh, initial offer up front you don't get to come back years later after yeah. it sells and be like oh um, now i want money it's like yeah now my understanding was because he says he feels entitled to five percent of the overall deal. and there's some, actually some interesting details of this so i'm gonna i'm gonna read a little bit of it before I get into kind of my personal associations and the broad lessons that I was thinking about when I was looking at this because it actually brings some stuff to mind that like have been, especially in LA, collaborating with people. I've had some instances like this where it's like I've been on the receiving end of similar treatment or like I can at least relate to what he feels, right? Whether or not he's justified in that, I guess, you know, it's hard to tell just from these statements, but I'll read this. Okay, so Lil Bob is suing McGregor for millions, alleging that he was pivotal in developing McGregor's proper number 12 whiskey that McGregor sold a majority stake of for 600 mil in 2021. Lil Bob reportedly claims that for his efforts in creating proper 12, he has an agreement that entitles him to 5% of the money McGregor made from the sale. So I wonder if that was a verbal agreement, a written agreement, whatever. The attorney says this, my client's a retired professional fighter with a master's degree from DCU, Dub Dublin City University in finance and capital markets. Low office attorney Dermot McNamara, Mc McNamara said, we have issued high court proceedings, yada, yada, yada. Um, McGregor's team says, proper number 12 Irish whiskey was created, developed, branded, and tirelessly promoted by Conor McGregor. He didn't say exclusively by Conor McGregor, and um, let's see. But that's kind of what you're left to believe with that statement. Low, here's, here's where the things get specific. McGregor and Loboff were once fast friends. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Loboff claimed to have been the one who came up with the idea for Proper 12 when McGregor was considering getting into vodka with Hafthor Bjornsson. The professional strongman, Lobov, claims he told McGregor to do whiskey instead and even did the legwork early on to get things rolling. I was the person who came up with the idea to do a whiskey for Connor, Lobov said. I said to him, before you can look 
even look any further about vodka. Here's what I know about Irish whiskey. I told him about my presentation from college. I told him about the dominance of Irish whiskey and all of that. And he said, you go off and see what deal you can put together. And I went on my way. I went on and met all different whiskey distilleries. I called some and met some in person. I did my research and put, uh, put a beautiful deal together. Once the deal was ready, I went to Connor and I said, Connor, I have uh, the deal ready for you. This is going to be a billion dollar deal. No messing here. I'm not sure if you took me seriously or not. Uh, at the time of a billion dollars. Connor offered me one million, but I turned it down. I didn't accept it, you know, throughout my career, as you were saying, Casey, but I never accepted the money from him. That is an interesting wrinkle there. I wonder what the specifics of him actually agreeing to that. Now, also, I think it's pretty customary, like if you put together a deal, right, we pay lawyers and agents a percentage. Who knows? I guess that would be the pivotal thing. The only thing that matters is like, was this agreed upon? I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, you know, that he feels justified in this. And this isn't just suddenly realizing, like, oh, my fight career is over and I'm not a millionaire, so i got to sue my former best friends. Um, but it reminds me of things that I've just experienced this before with people who, like, specifically on screenwriting collaborations where I've worked with directors uh, and had positive experiences who are moral and ethical about going forward or something, but like what can happen sometimes is like, you know, for example, not a lot of people know that Pulp Fiction was co-written by somebody. And the behind the scenes of that was like Quentin Tarantino like bullied him to take his name off of the written by credit. It still says story by credit, um, but he like threatened to like remove the guy entirely if he didn't take the story by credit so that Quentin Tarantino could put written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. That's how directors think a lot of times, very egotistically, that my name has to be on there. I'm not going to get any credit. I've worked with screenwriters before who, like, I've put in hundreds of hours into projects and you'll get promises of like, oh, and it's going to be like this on the other side of things and, you know, it's going to be me and you and so much money, blah, blah, blah. But then, like the moment that there's any chance of getting recognition for it, it's like, ooh, it's like, hey, can I take your name off this? And like, I'll get you back later or something like that. It's, it's, I'm not saying everybody, but I know this kind of thinking because everything seems great up front. And again, I don't know the, the specifics of their deal, but it's an insight into people's psychology. You want to democratize the work, right? You want to socialize the work and privatize the profit would be one way to say it. Um, it's all fun and collaboration and, oh my God, it's going to be like, it's easy to talk about fairness and, and like, and not put that in writing. And then on the other side of something, once you actually have a script and you feel a sense of scarcity because you're not, you know, let's say you're a director and you can come up with ideas, but you're not the best technical screenwriter who can execute feature films in a particular format. Well, then that's a scarce thing for you. Have a script and you're not easily able to replicate that over and over and over. So that's your thing, right? And if you have a vision of written and directed by, or you feel like that if people find out that this wasn't your idea entirely or that somebody else had to execute it for you, it's a threat to your ego, right? You feel like it might blow your cover in some ways, especially if you're insecure about your skills as a writer. So I've had people outright steal my ideas, like, um, like actually do, you know, finish the majority of, of screenplay, then have that person, like I've had other people tell me like, oh, this person's passing around that script that like, you know, you've proven to me you wrote whatever, 80 pages of, and then they, you know, were supposed to pay you and didn't, and they just took the writing and like put their name on it and finished, you know, whatever the remaining thing, but like with no credit or whatever. I think it's fairly common. I think that like things like that can be addressed. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking of two different examples where I addressed it with one person and, and they were able to, uh, to like apologize and we moved past it. They took ownership for it. Uh, in another instance, and this person, you know, was going through a period of substance abuse. And when I started with them, they were sober. And that's one element of like, you see, oh, yes, it's difficult to empathize. It's difficult to see things from another person's perspective while you're intoxicated. Whether it's alcohol, cocaine, anything, 
you might recognize on some level that the person who's speaking to you about taking responsibility or, you know, you've effed up in this, you know, X, Y, Z way. On some level, you recognize it's true, but the response can be anger. The response can be lashing out and gaslighting and going, you know, over the top. No, you, and this is the reason that, you know, you're totally wrong. And that it's like, well, we can't, can't do anything with that, right? So you hate to see it. It's also just not, when I think about Conor McGregor, big ego, millions of dollars, probably doesn't have a lot of people in his life telling him, you know, the harsh truth or reminding him or who are incentivized to keep it an absolute, you know, 100% real with him that would have that conversation like, hey, maybe, maybe this guy does deserve something. Um, you know, we also drinks. don't, <laughs> we also don't know Connor's response to this at all. Like, right. Connor yeah. could be like, yeah, no, I'll throw him five. I'll throw him. They, I'm sure they'll settle before yeah. it goes like Connor was like, yeah, I was trying to give you a million dollars before it got started. You're yeah. my boy. I'll throw you some coin. Yeah. Like, and, I'm and I would, this will get set. I honestly would hope that's the case because like, as I'm saying that he has all these trades that you can, you see why it's not too much of a stretch to be like, yes, people historically who have these traits, they tend to, you know, think less about other people in these scenarios when there is credit to be taken, right? It's like, I'm the face, I'm the brand, I'm the thing. So I guess the point of that entire story was like, when it's all done, there's a human tendency to be like, all me. And then somebody else being like, hey, but like 10% over here, or what, like, they're like, it's easier to be like, crush you because I'm in a position of power and the attention is on me. If I don't have to recognize you, there's a human tendency to not. And I'm, I hope that's not the case, I'm, but I assume there was more behind the scenes that like, if it's here, it's like, how do you come back from that? On the, you know? on the other side of what you're saying yeah. though, it's also uh, not outside the realm of human behavior to want something successful and proven to be Correct. insanely valuable to be like, oh, but I did this. I, Correct. You know you're hundred I mean? percent right. And that's the, the article immediately makes me think about my experiences and I feel like I've reflected on that enough and talked about it whether the people were like, no, you know, because people will try to make you feel like you're totally in the wrong, but like I've separated myself from it enough. Cause I remember when I like some of these instances, it would make me really angry. And like, and it's one of the few times I'm like, fuck man, I'll smoke weed and like get angry about this thing. Clearly it's bothering me still, but I've since compartmentalized it through reflection. But that's what I relate to emotionally and instinctually, but 100% on the other side of things, it's like, that's the story as old as time too. Like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, I was part of that. I wrote that song. I was your muse. You know, people also love to take credit for things that they don't deserve credit for, you know, or change the goalpost after the fact. If there was no agreement in place where you said, I'll give you 5%, when you turn down, because that would have been the thing. It's like, if you're turning down a million bucks, like, how about a percentage of, of sales later? Sure, that's perfectly fair. But if you just go, don't pay me, and that's it, that's on you, yeah. you know? That's on you not having the balls to be like, I actually do feel like I deserve something. Um, and then unfortunately, Connor would be in the right to give him nothing. If he turned it down and said, well, that's just me being a good friend, okay, you know? And then if you do that and then go public with it, it's like, you know, I wouldn't feel bad if I was Connor. If that was the case and I feel like you didn't say shit and then you're going to sue me and make this huge story out of it to make me look terrible, then like I would dig my heels in, <laughs> you know. Um, How about this? They fight and winner gets I the know, company. Right? <laughs> <laughs> God, the ass whoopings that Artem Lobov must have taken from Conor McGregor. Yeah, but also Artem uh, chipped Connor's tooth. Did he? Mm-hmm. Kind of has like yeah. a chip bottom tooth, and he's like, that's from the That was like the how they became hammer. friends, right? It's like he just would show up every day to like yeah. get his ass beat by Connor. Okay. Thank you for indulging all that stuff. And you know what? It made me realize, um, think of this little quote. I remember somebody telling me, we're like, a, 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 you know, an Indian and a cowboy are friends, or they'd see each other in this, you know, North American uh, fake story that's being told to me. And the cowboy or the Indian, whatever it is, like, would share his tobacco with the other. And the guy giving it didn't even use tobacco, but he would take it out and split it in half and keep it. And it's like, obviously he had no use for it, 
but he wanted to demonstrate like, I'm seeing you as an equal, right? And I feel like that's, it's a great default to be like, the moment you're accepting help or collaboration from somebody in creativity, like unless there's a really good precedent or reason to like split it in a specific way, it's really hard to do that after the fact. You know what I mean? Either 50-50 or 0-100 and it's a favor or we're talking about it right now, but afterwards like, oh, actually I deserve 50. Where are you getting that 15% or 5% or like what based if, on what? Yeah. What if the company failed and he took a $20 million loss on the whole thing? Would, would Arnon be like, oh, let me give you 20% <laughs> of the loss that you just That's incurred. a good way to look at it too, yeah. Um, you know, because ultimately, yes, he spent time on it, but there was no financial risk whatsoever. So, you know, hey, I'd take the million. All right. Let's click on this right here. The Let's seed click oils it, thing. Let's click seed it. oils have become like this meme in the fitness industry recently <laughs> where I, I follow this great, uh, this great page, Carnivorelius, and it's kind of in this like vein of like, be more masculine, eat meat, like have, you know, one girl, have kids. Like it's like this like Western civilization thing, which like I'm always like I'm hesitant to reference them or get into it. But like it's basically like simple shit, right? It's like conservative values in some ways, but it's like that is maybe more important or I feel like a I'm being drawn to it because there's so much more in the world that says the opposite, right? With uh, vegan diets and people who are vegan obviously love to tell you about it. I'm hearing more and more about seed oils and stuff like that. And I, like it started out as a meme, but then as I look into it, it's like, um, oh, this actually like there's legitimacy to what they're saying. And I just didn't even, soybean, corn, canola, cotton seed, uh, uh, grape seed, it actually says rape seed, <laughs> sunflower, safflower, and rice bran. Did you know that industrial seed oils play a significant role in a slew of chronic diseases. And unfortunately, they're hard to avoid. You'll find them in mainstream packaged foods, baked goods, protein bars, salad dressings, and more. And they're inflammatory to the body. They're hard to digest and assimilate. Essentially, we started using them at the turn of the century, but like they use them for, you know, industrial machinery and shit like that. In contrast to that, olive oil, coconut oil, butter, uh, lard, these are things that while villainized in mainstream culture actually turn out are much better for you. So it's something that I'm going to look into. They're in packaged foods, baked goods, protein bars, salad dressings. I'm going to start looking at the ingredients and seeing about this stuff and trying to avoid it because, again, the root of so many diseases is inflammation. And if you can avoid that, and also there's, uh, we can get into it more in future episodes, but like, apparently lowers your testosterone and sperm can there's all these like tangible things that you know in addition to the inflammation it's just not good for you um look they, they also uh from what i've read uh contain a tremendous amount of whale vomit <laughs> fucking hilarious <laughs> yeah wh <laughs> grape seed whale vomit what <laughs> check your protein bar for whale vomit Let's just do these. Why, this is why we can't have nice Let's gyms. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, here we go. And so this actually, this is not this. Uh, this is a great exercise by Michael Hearn. This is not for why we can't have nice gyms. I'm going to get to this one later. But God, like wow. one of the things I love about Mike is he is endlessly open-minded and creative. Now he'll reject stuff that doesn't work, obviously. But like here's he's doing a lunging behind the neck wide grip shoulder press in a Smith machine. So the bar is centered over, you know, the middle of his lunge, down the center of his body, and you can't do a standing press in most Smith machines because it's not tall enough, you know? Certainly for me, maybe if you're like five feet tall, you can do it, but this solves that problem, but also creates this like functional thing where you're actually getting a leg workout and it's a really solid base from which to press. So I really like it. And I feel like that's a really great athletic movement, and again, He's got that from Mike Platts. He's always showing me stuff that's like, oh, you know, Lou Ferrigno showed me this or whatever. Um, Arnold showed me this. And it's like, it's stuff you've never seen before. And so it's like, I feel like it's this bodybuilding kind of like inside info. But, you know, again, follow, like training stuff 
He's a master. He's got a million tricks up his sleeve, and I think that one's good. Let's go do down you, to the first one. I have a question on go, this before uh -huh. we go to the next thing. Do you think this would have any um, benefit in training like uh, your, your split jerk? I would assume so, just, just because, be um, like, although you're not balancing, per se, in that position, I do think the basics of... Because otherwise, like, how are you going to overload that without doing it explosively? Yeah. That's my question. Um, and most people just don't know, even know how to set it up to do it safely. I think just starting to be conscious of, like, how to generate power into your extremities in this position could be tremendously beneficial. Because, like, most people, you could, like, picture what it feels like to hold the heaviest weight you can in a split jerk position over your head. Most people don't know like where the weak point is or like where like, mm, if I, oh, I know that my, I split too far because it feels like this or I'm not wide enough because it feels like this. So as far as introducing like a kinetic chain to somebody's brain, which is very important just for understanding like how to go from relaxed or stretched into optimal force production in a millisecond, you first have to learn it in a slower way or experiment with that in a safer way. And this, this provides that. So it's honestly something I want to try out. Hell yeah. Okay, let's go on to this. <laughs> you see the first one there? Mm -hmm. Sorry. Uh, Goodwill racking. Me showing the high schoolers how to re-rack their weights. And it's Goodwill. And I'm sorry you can't do this. I really am because I wouldn't have to fucking sit here and watch you fumble. I wouldn't have to fucking sit here. Do you know how easy this is for me? Do you know how easy this is? It's a fucking joke. And I'm sorry you can't do this. Sorry. I really am because I wouldn't have to fucking sit here and watch you fumble around and fuck it up. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's true. Every time I go, like when I go into the 24 fitness, I'll look around and be like, this bench, this bench, this bench, this machine. Like it's like every machine that has weights you can put on it within my eyesight has unracked weights on it, like or that need to be re-racked. It's like it's it's incredible. Versus something like Zoo, you like you don't see a single piece of machinery because everybody gets the etiquette. All right, what's the next one? Front squat fail. I gave it away. 385 pound. Squat PR fail. Nothing like a sweet 185 pound, a 385 pound uppercut. God damn, man. Be careful racking these weights. So it comes out. He can't get it. It starts to do. Oh, God. Ugh. Yeah. And it's like he's doing the smart thing. But, you know, if I was doing a front squat, I would put the clips on there because there's no bit like you can dump it to the front, you know. You're not going to get trapped in it unless you're he a fucking has, idiot. He has but, a clip ooh. on this. I think the oh, clip. My, I think the oh, clip interesting. Fell. Yeah. You're probably right. Let's see if we see a clip fall here on that first fall. Yeah, the clip. Oh, there we off. go. There we go. Casey caught it. All right. Then get better clips, huh? Deep dumbbell press. This is another one where I'm like, oh, I got it. It's so cringy, the buildup. This guy. Now, I don't think the dumbbells are that big. It's like 90 pounds, but he's asking somebody to spot him who looks like he's not his workout partner. And again, this is like, again, you could be using partial range of motion to achieve something and and break through plateaus or whatever in an organized system, but this is not it. This is just a guy going, I need to lift a certain amount of weight. I'm going to do half reps, and it's additionally dangerous because when you're not doing it with a barbell, you're adding this super heavy thing you can't even do one rep with, and now you also have to balance it. That, to me, is a recipe for disaster. When you can't handle a dumbbell and it's this close to your face, like I've, I've knocked dumbbells out of people's hands like when they're failing on flat bench, for example, that would have gone into their face because if you're not strong enough to, to manage it completely, you're a split second away from disaster at all times near your face. So never forget that. Like That guy needs to be using half as much weight. Do a stretch. It's always going to be better. And you look like a, like, even if that were beneficial, since you're not that muscular, everybody in the gym assumes you don't know what the fuck you're doing, right? Personal trainer is smaller than me. That exercise is an optimal for muscle growth. <laughs> and that's, I chose this one because this is like a buzzword in the fitness community now. Optimal. Everything's like, oh, it's not optimal. Like, it's overused. Michael Hearns actually, ripped on that concept a number of times like you know like behind the neck press like not optimal but it is though right if you do it right and it's this versus nothing right or this versus your uh you know bosu ball balancing bullshit that's a triple b right there it's going to be optimal because you're building muscle with something you enjoy that's as heavy as you can handle that's always optimal 
Short kings, rise up. When you drink your protein, work out eight hours a day, that's a lot, and have uh, the physique of a Greek god. But the first thing she asks is, how tall are you? Hurtful. Uh, you hate to see it. Hurtful. Have you ever seen the movie Small Shots? Uh-uh. Um, it's so good. I'll send it to you later. But like the opening scene is this hilarious exchange where it's like the concept is these like Guido guys come to L.A. to make it in acting. It's it's honestly hilarious. Like they, they wrote and directed it themselves and like based on a true story kind of thing, but like really good. The opening scene is him having that exchange with a girl. You know, and like lying about it, like joking to try to get around the topic and then lying about, you know, and, and uh, you know, it just reminded me of that. And oh, it's life is unfair. I saw this. Oh, all the lifts. Name this lift. He goes, clean, uh, squat, yes, clean, get clean into a zombie squat, into a behind the neck press, into a fucking rot the rotation around was the smoothest thing. Okay, let me watch it one more time. Clean, zombie squat into a snatch catch, behind the neck, squat all the way down, 360 around the neck, one arm snatch catch. That's fucking impressive, man. However you want to look at it. And somebody messages me like, oh, it's a great way to get injured. I'm like, if you're a beginner, you know, but like, no, there's actually zero risk of injury to this guy. Yeah, and it's you know? light. It's so like shut up. 65 pounds or exactly. something. He, he knows you what know. he's doing. Bro not fighting demons, he fighting gravity, somebody said. This guy, this is another one of these things, ego lifting this finest. The guy's got four plates at a squat, comes there slapping him, he comes under here, takes two steps back, oh. and just immediately collapses. And it's like, there's no way you got to three plates and it was so easy. You're like, we gotta add another plate on there. Do these guys like just not warm up and go to the, you know, like the one last week with the leg press? Like he's shaking under four plates. There's just zero chance of him doing that lift. And of course, these are high school kids you know, encouraging each other to just do stupid shit. Thinking if you like, if I slap you on the back hard enough and you scream loud enough before the lift, you're suddenly gonna get 50% stronger. Here's an interesting one. This guy, we, we don't see the attempt, we just see him passing out and hitting the uh, power cage behind him after deadlift. But then he, three seconds later, gets up. And somebody said, this is why we do not need deadlift spotters in competition. He gets up right afterwards and fine. It's like getting choked out in BJJ, I assume. Like, you, you create, you know, blood constriction to your head, you don't have enough blood flow, you pass out, but as soon as that tension goes away, you wake up and it's fine. No permanent damage. Um, unless you suffer a concussion from the power rack. I like how he looks in the mirror, like uh, the first thing when he regains consciousness, he's like, oh, I'm alive, but, yeah. but am I cute? Yeah, am I jacked? <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, the thing you always have to ask yourself with regards to deadlifting is did i die and if you're still alive then you got to keep lifting till next time guys and boy i'm gonna have a banger for you next week i have some exciting stuff planned with a big guest that you will see next week um hopefully or two weeks from now maybe two weeks from now but i'm really excited to have him on and uh dare i say biggest guest so far haters might say no but i'm gonna say oh yeah <laughs>